Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy, howdy, folks, and welcome to Grass Talk Radio. Let me tell you a little joke, and I'm sure you've heard it before. A horse walks in a bar, and the bartender says, Why the long face, buddy? <laughs> Insert rim shot here. This episode is called Don't Count Your Chickens Before They Hatch. Uh, But before I get into the main topic, I want to tell you that I'm sitting here in Columbus, Georgia this morning with a big hot cup of coffee in my hands, so you may hear me take some sips from it, such as that one. Let me get some uh, housekeeping stuff out of the way. Uh, Number one, thanks for listening to the show. I appreciate you. If you were not listening... I would not do this. So your listening is important to me, as is your sharing it with other people. Second thing, I want to thank everybody who has supported the show, either by sharing links or by purchasing some of of my products over on BradleyLaird.com or by becoming a patron over at Patreon.com slash BradleyLaird. So got that stuff out of the way. It's very important to always be thankful, regardless of your present situation. Because the funny thing about your present situation, it almost doesn't exist. Because in about one second, it's a new situation. And in two seconds, it's different again. It's almost like there is no present, because the present is so infinitely small in time. What you have, really that you can look at is the past. You've got your past and you have your future. But this present that seems to bother us all so much is such a small thing that if you just sort of forget the present and think about, well, what about the future? (laughs) That's sort of the uh, point of this episode, which I'll get more to in as we proceed. This week... I went to my son Jackson's first band concert. And if you've been following along the last episode since, oh, I don't know, I probably mentioned it first back about in May or or June of 2019 that Jackson had been accepted to this school over in Columbus, Georgia, and it was going to require a lot of driving back and forth to get him to be able to go to the Rainey McCullough School of the Arts and... So that's what I'm in the middle of. You heard my episode where I was sitting at a picnic table in a park in Columbus, and that was on one of my early trips, driving him back and forth. Um, But one of the primary drivers for this project, this you could call it a, a family project, was his desire to be in band. And the school he attended had no band program. Oh, they kept talking about it. Well, maybe next year. And, you know, I even heard they put in their budget to purchase music stands one time. And I got real excited. I was thinking, well, what do they need music stands for if they're not going to have a band? Surely they're going to have a band. But they didn't. And they still don't. Jackson wanted to be in the band. And I don't know if it's because I was in the band or hey, he, he's a... He's a musical little rascal, and you've heard some of that 
and I don't mean to make the whole show about him and, you know, uh, his music and so forth, but we really wanted him to be in a band. Well, he's now going to the school. He is not only in the band, but he's also in the orchestra program. They haven't had their concert yet, but I'm really, really looking forward to it. So he is playing the French horn. He's in his first year of band, so he's in the they have two levels. I think it's concert and then symphonic band. So he's in the concert band. He has, you know, been playing a couple of months. And, you know, I was expecting to go to the concert and hear, you know, a really good version of Hot Cross Buns or something, you know, one of these three-note unison songs or something like that. And let me tell you what, I was extremely impressed. Um... I have to put my uh, standing ovation for Mr. A.G., the band director. I don't know how you take a bunch of kids and start them off at the zero point or near the zero point and have them play that kind of music in just a couple of months and only meeting, uh, you know, two or three times a week. I was extremely impressed. I'm a little bit jealous of Jackson. You know, I, I would like to go, <clears throat> if I could go and be in the band and maybe learn to play maybe a bassoon or something new, you know, that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm jealous every day when I drop him off and I see him going in there with his horn case. Um, anyway, the concert was phenomenal. Of course, I had a tear in my eye. I'm seeing my son up there playing the French horn just like his old pappy did way back in the day. Anyway... The big thing now is I'm really, really looking forward to the um, orchestra because he's playing the cello, but he doesn't have one. And they don't have enough cellos at the school to send every child home with one to check, check one out to them. So they're having to share. So uh, I've never heard him play it. So that's going to be even more exciting to uh, go and sit in the audience and hear him play that thing for the very first time because he's unable to practice at home. So that's just a little update on Jackson. Next topic, completely different. I got an email from a listener saying, a friend of mine um, suggested that I listen to one of your episodes and I went to listen to it and I, it wouldn't play. I hit play and it wouldn't play. The, the, uh, and the episode was the... Sam Brown self-hypnosis episode. I don't remember the number of the episode. It was probably back in the in the 30s, maybe, 30-ish episodes. Pretty early. It was in the first year. Sam Brown, the UK Berkeley-trained drummer um, who have has these self-hypnosis courses and CDs and tapes and a iPhone app and all this kind of stuff. And I interviewed him on the show. Well, anyway, the guy writes me and says, I'm, you know, I'm trying to play it and it won't play. It doesn't do anything. So I go take a look at it and I try playing it and it wouldn't play. So I go to the next episode in the list and it plays. And I go to the one before it and it plays, but that one for some reason didn't play. So I wrote him back. I said, let me, let me look into this. And I just went, I have an archive of every show that I've done. And I just went and re-uploaded the file. Maybe the file got corrupted somehow. I don't know. 
but he it played for me then after I re-uploaded it and then I said, hey, it's working now. Go try it. And he's like, great, it's working. Thanks a bunch. But it brought up a point is that I don't have the time every day to go through all 140 plus episodes and double check that each one is there and it's functioning and the, the show notes page is there and that all the links work and all that kind of stuff. So I'm basically kind of asking you, the listener, to do me a favor. And that is, as you go, go through the episodes in whatever order you're doing, if you encounter something, like if I posted a YouTube video on the show notes page and it's now just, you know, one of those blank, this video has been removed or something, if you spot something like that, just send me an email, brad at bradleylaird.com and tell me, hey, uh, I found this link. It doesn't work anymore. Or I'm trying to play episode 89 and for some reason it won't play. Because if I put a whole lot of you on the task of kind of checking this stuff, link checking and just verifying that everything's working like it ought to, that would help me a great deal. Because... I know I fixed that one, but what if there are four other ones that I, that I don't know about? And true, I could sit here all day today <laughs> checking every one of them, and maybe I should do that. But if I were doing that, I wouldn't be able to make this podcast. So if you have a little time on your hands, just start stepping through the episodes and hit and play and see if they play, you know, and see if the graphics are there. And just, you know, that'd be one way you could help me out. If you find something, just shoot me an email. All right, item four, and this is just a little note for my local bluegrass crowd around the Sumter County, Georgia area, and that is that officially that Thursday night jam session that I launched back in, I think in July, has now uh, shut down for the winter. We are in hibernation mode, so we had our last one uh, the week prior to Halloween, and we're now in hibernation mode, so any of you local pickers that are hearing this, which, what are the odds of that? Um, just remember, we'll be restarting in the spring, which brings up a good point here that we're moving into that season where it's, it's a great time to really get serious about your personal musical work and practice. Because, you know, the jams are going to get fewer and farther between. Yes, you'll be able to go to shows and you can sit around listening to the radio and records and podcasts and spend all your time doing that. But this is a great time to really be a better player next spring, you know? And, okay, so that's it. Uh, the next thing is just a quick shout out to the Mandolins and Beer podcast. I've sent him an email saying similar things that, hey, I'm really digging what you're doing and, you know, keep it going. Obviously, it is primarily for mandolin players, but I can't recommend it highly enough. The Mandolins and Beer Podcast, apparently he's got more time on his hands than I do to be able to reach out to all these people and to keep a continuous interview flow going. And he's had some great ones. Just this past week, he had Alan Bybee, one of my favorite mantle players. I've always been a big fan of that that type of mantle in playing. And he, uh, you know, spills the beans on his whole story. So 
If you have not been listening to Madeline's and Beer, go listen to it. Add it to your list of things to, to listen to, especially if you are a mandolin player. And, you know, throw a little support his way. Okay, let's get to the main topic. The main topic is a little personal to me today, but I'm not really going to talk about that. What I want to do is um, talk about what do you do? What do you do when your plans sort of disintegrate and fall apart? Because this is the way of man. We all make plans and and sometimes plans are made for us, and sometimes we're participating in the making of a great plan, and then for whatever reason, the plan completely collapses and falls apart, or changes, or this is just the nature of human existence. And I have recently um, gone through something similar to that. I guess you could say I am going through it right now, where a, uh, a finely crafted master plan uh, just completely collapsed and fell apart. So I've been thinking, obviously, about a lot of these things. And if you know what the word pensive is, if, you, if you're if you familiar with the word pensive, my wife, being an old English major, has several times, uh, you know, in the many years we've been uh, together, uh, walked in and instead of saying, why the long face, she would say, why so pensive, Brad? <laughs> pensive. And I had to look it up. I didn't know what pensive was. I'm like, what, she calling me pensive? I look it up. Well, pensive sort of means, um, you know, really wrapped up in thought. It's like deep, like internal thinking, you know, like just picture the thinker statue, you know, the guy with his head on his, on his chin. That, that guy uh, is representing pensiveness or pensivity. I'm making those up. I don't know if those words exist. But I've been very pensive. And yesterday I had the, a grand opportunity to be just swimming in this sea of pensiveness. And that's because I drove over here to uh, Columbus, dropped my son off at school, and planned to come here record the podcast. Got my notes. I got everything. I got my portable recorder, thanks to a listener, the H4N handy recorder. I got my computer. I'm all set. I got the day planned. And by the way, this is not the plan that fell apart, but it also fell apart like many plans. So I arrive here. I pop the trunk on the car, reach down to get the briefcase with all the stuff in it. It's not there. And at that moment, I realized I left it in the kitchen at the farm. Drat, what am I going to do today? The whole day, I got the whole day. And right now, that's the last thing I need to do is sit around and think, you know, all day long, just think. That's what I did. So I went outside and I started rambling around in the woods. And the strangest thing, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe I'd find some interesting rocks or maybe an arrowhead or something, you know. And I found a golf ball laying in the woods. You know, just a bright, shining white golf ball. I'm like, huh. Wipe it off, put it in my pocket. I'm walking around the woods, and there's a creek back here. And I was, I could hear water, like a little small waterfall, like water running over rocks. And I wanted to get back there and see what it looked like back there. So 
I find another golf ball, and then another one, and then another one. I just keep finding golf balls everywhere. Maybe it's some sort of sign that perhaps I, maybe something in my future having to do with golf, perhaps. <laughs> um, anyway, I found a total of eight golf balls in about 20 minutes, and I got to thinking, how did these golf balls get here? Was it some teenage kid just chipping balls around in the yard and he just keeps chipping them down into the woods and they roll down toward the creek? I don't know. But I have this, um, this sort of, I invented sort of like why those golf balls might be there. Like maybe the guy that lived here, you know, was really trying to be a golfer and, you know, went out and got his hat handed to him on the golf course that morning came home, you know, breaking his golf clubs over his knee, and maybe he just took all them golf balls and just threw them into the woods, swearing he would never play golf again. <laughs> That's sort of uh, what you call your sour grapes attitude, or I don't know. I, you know, I don't think I've ever done quite that sort of thing, but there, there have been things in my life that I've just said, all right, this is enough of this. Let's just Nip it in the bud, you know, but, but I wonder about those golf balls and I don't play golf by the way. I, mean, I probably have mentioned that before. I had a little course in golf in college, but all we did was put and drive and we never actually played a game of golf. So I don't know anything about a golf club or how to hit a golf ball, but, um, I washed all those golf balls off in there over there in a colander in the sink right now. I guess I'll give them to Jackson. Maybe he'll want to take up golf or something. So this main topic, you know, what do you do when all your plans fall apart? Or you could say, maybe the title for this would be, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Because it's kind of an embarrassing feeling when you do count your chickens before they hatch. You know, when you're, as, as it gets close, you know, a chicken egg, let me tell you a little story about hatching chickens. When I was in the... Uh, I guess it was the very beginning of the seventh grade. So I was pr pretty much Jackson's age. I got some, it was quail eggs. I got, ordered them through the mail, you know, out of the back of Boy's Life magazine from GQF. And you get this little incubator and you get six quail eggs and the instruction sheet and you're going to hatch out and have your own pet quail, you know. So... And if I'm not mistaken, I think a quail egg hatches in 24 days. So anyway, I set everything up. I've got the humidity and the temperature just right. Got the little, the little thing. You may remember this as a kid. It, the little incubator looked kind of like a UFO, kind of like a flying saucer looking little plastic gizmo with a little, little light bulb in there for heat. Anyway, I'm keeping very good records of exactly, I know exactly the day the eggs are going to hatch. They're not chickens, obviously, but the quail. So 24th day, and it's in, in August, and school is about to start. Well, it turns out that the day they're going to hatch is like two, two days before school starts. So I'm thinking this is great. You know, they'll be hatched. They'll, everything will be cool. Um, well, day 20, I think it's day 24. Day 24 came, nothing. 
No sign, not a crack, not a peep, not nothing. And I had never hatched eggs before, so I didn't really know what to expect. I have hatched them multiple times since then, but nothing. The next day, nothing. The next day, nothing. And my mom is saying, so, uh, what's, uh, how's your hatchery coming along there? She's letting me do this in my bedroom. And I'm like, well, they, they haven't done anything yet. And she's beginning to get a little worried that perhaps the eggs are no good and maybe they're rotten and, you know, they might explode because, I'm, you know, you take a bunch of non-fertile eggs and you put them in an incubator for a month, you know, you could have a mess on your hands. So she's getting a little concerned. You know, maybe, maybe we just need to throw them out. I'm like, no, no, we got to give them more time. We got to give them more time. Well, the next morning, I had to go to school and I get up and one of the eggs has hatched. There's a little chick, a little quail chick in that incubator. He's all wet. He's, he's looking around and stuff. And I had to go to school. Rats. Well, I go to school, I tell all my friends um, about my quail and, uh, you know, and when I get home, I'm going to have six quail and all this stuff. Well, I got home. I didn't have any quail. The poor little chick died. And I won't explain why that happened, but it, it was an accident um, of the light being unplugged accidentally or intentionally, I'm not sure. I'm not going to worry about it. At this late date, it's sort of irrelevant to the story. But there went my great dreams of being the quail farmer, you know, in Forest Park, Georgia. Up in smoke, just that quick, you know. And all that anticipation. So it's, it's an easy trap to fall into to think that you know, you see something on the horizon and more and more evidence is pouring in to lead you to believe that, hey, this is going to be great. You know, maybe you've been asked to join a band or maybe, you know, you're in high school and some girl is sort of, you know, acting like, you know, she thinks you're kind of cute or something, you know, and your things are progressing and, you know, but we all fall guilty of counting our chickens before they hatch. And so I've had one of those over the past couple of weeks where I unfortunately did begin to count my chickens. And clearly, these particular metaphorical chickens are not hatching. So I've got to kind of make a new plan. But I want to tell you one little quick story that's bluegrass related about something similar. And this is on a much smaller scale than my little personal uh, situation right now. But one time, I was at a festival. And our band was there performing on... I guess we did Friday and maybe like one, one set on Friday and two on Saturday. And then the guys all took off. But I was there for the weekend, had the pop-up camper and hung around. I'm not going home till Sunday, Sunday evening because they did a Sunday show there. They would do gospel in the morning, then more bluegrass in the afternoon. And so I just figured I'm here. You know, I got in free. I'm just going to hang around. And the rest of the guys took off back to Atlanta. And I'm down there at Cochrane, Georgia, at the uh, Hillside Bluegrass Festival, just going to, you know, enjoy Sunday. Well, I get up Sunday morning, I'm standing around down Shangri-La, and 
drinking coffee and you know, shooting the breeze with people and the picking had not gotten started yet. It's early on Sunday morning at a bluegrass festival. If you've ever gone to a good picking festival, you know what those Sunday mornings are like, you know, people drinking, you know, uh, what's that where they drink the, the, the Bloody Mary, you know, with the celery stock and the V8 and all that. It's, it's, everybody's sort of in recovery mode, you might say, Sunday morning, and then they go down and they'll do the gospel show. Well, I'm standing around drink, drinking coffee, and a lady that I know comes up to me and says, hey, Brad, um, you, you know our band, and I knew these. I knew these people. I knew their band. I knew it was a husband and wife, had a band, you know, with a banjo player and a fiddle player and a mandolin player. I think she played bass and he played guitar. The husband played guitar. And she said, my husband, we're supposed to play today, like two o'clock. We're supposed to play on stage today at two o'clock. My husband got an important call, uh, had to go do something for work, and he's probably not going to get back in time to do the gig. Would you consider filling in with us on guitar? Well, I, I had my guitar with me, but of course I was down there playing mandolin that weekend with the band. But I had a guitar, and I said, well, um, yeah, I said, you know, sure, I'll help you out. And uh, she's like, we'll pay you. Um, I said, well, can we get together this morning and at least run through the tunes? Because, you know, I've, I've seen you guys play, but I, I don't know all your songs and, you know, how you kick them off and stuff. Could we at least, you know, get together and kind of, run through and check off the ones like, yeah, I'm totally fine with that one and that one. And, you know, just kind of run through the set a little bit. Oh, yeah, 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 no problem. Okay, so I go get my guitar and she goes and rounds up the other band members. And we begin to kind of rehearse. And, you know, she's going through the set list. And they've done this a bunch of times. I'm the only person that doesn't really know their material that well. So I'm the student here. I've got to, you know get familiar enough to get up there on stage and be their guitar player that day. So we spent about two hours and got it, got it down to her satisfaction. She's like, okay, we're good. Um, meet us backstage about 30 minutes, like at one we're going on at two and we'll all meet up, tune up, go on, have a great set. And, you know, I really appreciate you doing this. And so I'm like, okay, cool. What are y'all wearing? Well, I went back to the camper and I had my, you know, nice shirt and slacks and stuff from doing the hour shows the day before. And so I, I got gussied up and got all tuned up. And when it was time, I went backstage. And, and I was thinking, this is great because I've already been paid once to be here. And so I got in free. I got free camping and I've already been paid, and I'm about to get paid again. This is just an extra added bonus. Like, this is, man, this is great. And it's going to be easy. So I go back down there, and the other band members are filing around and gathering behind the stage, just tuning up, warming up, and, and looking over the set list. And we're about to, going to go on in about 20 minutes. And she's like, can we you know, is there anything we need to run over? I said, if you could do that one tune, and I think it might have been some Claire Lynch tune or something that I just wasn't that familiar with. I said, if you could just go over the beginning and ending of that one again one time, that'd be nice. So we do it, 
and I hear another guitar. And I kind of look around over my shoulder, and there's a guy who has walked up behind me with a guitar slung on, and he's playing. And I just, you know, went back to playing the song, and we finished the song. And uh, I thought, well, this guy just thinks we're back here jamming, you know, and he's just one of the jammers, and he's walked up. It was not her husband. Clearly, I know him. You know, it wasn't him. He, he didn't, you know, suddenly show up. If he did, I would have said, hey, you know, Glad to see you made it. Whew, I'm going to go out and sit in the audience and listen to y'all play. And I would have walked away with no disappointment whatsoever. But the guy just kept standing there. And they do another song. And I'm playing and he's playing. And then she looks at him and says, take it. And he plays a solo on one of the tunes. And I'm playing rhythm. I'm thinking, well, maybe they, you know, added another member. Finish that song. And she looks at me and says, Brad... We're not going to need you after all today. I really appreciate you uh, doing this, but uh, so-and-so is, is going to do it. Like, uh, okay, okay, see y'all. <laughs> and I put my guitar in a case and went back to the campground. Uh, well, there went that little. I mean, that's just a microscopic. That is not a big deal to be asked to do something. And then at the last minute, I got replaced. And turns out, I didn't really know the guy. I'd seen him around at festivals, but I didn't really know. And I didn't know that he had on numerous occasions in the past filled in for her husband, the missing guitar player. He had done this before. And he was frankly a better choice because he knew their stuff. And whereas I'm going up there cold and just going to wing it. And so it was, it was smart on her part, but I did feel a bit misled and a bit cheated because, you know, for three hours I had been, you know, building up my hopes and I, I love to get on stage and this would be cool. I get to get up there and play again, you know, plus I get that, you know, extra 75 bucks or whatever it was. But there was a, you know, a little bit of disappointment, but imagine you take a scenario like that and you string it out over, you know, eight, nine weeks or, you know, six weeks and you're getting the build up and the build up and the build up and then you get the ax, you know, that's kind of different. I got a whole nother story, which I'm going to save for another, another podcast about that. But I was telling uh, my son on the way over here this morning, and I was, I was explaining what I, I often test drive the podcast for him and he gives me little tips. You know? And I said, you know, ask him if he'd ever heard the, the old fable about the fox and the grapes and he had heard it, but he's like, well, you know, tell it to me again. I said, well, once there was this fox, and he's walking down the trail, and he sees in a tree hanging from a vine in a branch above him a beautiful bunch of grapes. And his mouth begins to water. He thinks these grapes, wow, these are the most beautiful grapes. They're going to taste so sweet. And what... What luck I have to have found these beautiful grapes. And he reaches for them, and he can't reach them. And he jumps. He jumps as high as he can, and he cannot, for the life of him, jump high enough to pull down that bunch of those beautiful grapes. So he dusts himself off, and he says, they were probably sour anyway. And he goes on his way. And I think that's a way, uh, that's the way a lot of 
us rationalize, you know, these sort of little mini disappointments or great disappointments is that we, the fox clearly did not blame himself. You know, perhaps he could have devised a way to get a stick and knock him down with or, you know, pile up some rocks and climb up on the rocks. And, you know, foxes are supposed to be so clever and all, but he didn't blame himself. He blamed the grapes. He just wrote it off and said, well, you know, they were probably sour anyway. I could have done that walking back from that stage, having been hired and fired in under three and a half hours. I could have said, well, you know, I didn't really want to play with them anyway. They're not that good. And it would have been embarrassing. And, you know, I could have had that sour grapes attitude. But I don't think that's a good productive way to handle uh, disappointments that are thrown your way. So I jotted down a few things that we should do that I think we should do when plans do fall apart, when you've counted your chickens before they hatched and they didn't hatch, uh, what do you do? I think number one we should do, and this could be just any little issue. This could be, you know, you were hoping uh, somebody would make you breakfast in bed on your birthday and they didn't. Well, you know, it could be something really big. It could be something really small. But I think if I were giving advice to my son, I would say, number one, don't burn your bridges. You know, if backstage that morning I'd, you know, copped an attitude with that woman um, and said, oh, great. You hired me and you fired me all in under three hours don't you ever call me again, blah, 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 and had a little, you know, had some words with her about it. Even though you might feel that way inside, it's better just to let it go, you know, and don't burn your bridges because if you walk away with your, your chin up, despite the disappointment, sometimes, like that woman she might have known that the other guy was a much better choice. And I think he was a better choice because he had done it before. Better choice. And sometimes it, I'm not even talking about was he a better guitar player? Was he a better singer? Sometimes that isn't all that relevant. It's more like the question for the band leader is who is most likely to be successful at what we're trying to do, which is put on a show, you know? And it, it's possible that somebody who is not as good as you might be a better choice at that moment. You follow me? However, I do think the guy was a much better guitar player than me. He could flat pick a lot better than I could. Now, I don't know her reasons, but when I walked away and didn't get angry, and, you know, maybe in the back of her mind, she's thinking, you know, you, you want to leave a good taste in their mouth. You know, you don't want to burn your bridges because she might know somebody else who's looking for somebody or needs help with something. You know, you want her talking good about you and maybe feeling a little guilty, but don't lay a guilt trip on them. But, you know, if they have a conscience at all, they may come around and do you a favor later, you know, just because they remember that day that, you know, you got all gussied up and put on your jacket and everything and all for nothing, you know. And people remember these sorts of things. Sometimes it, it comes back around and you get little extra favors out of the deal that you weren't expecting. 
Sometimes not. So that's the first thing, don't burn your bridges. Second thing, I think it's wise to take a good look at yourself and try to decide, was it something you did or was it something beyond your control? Because it could be a little of both. It could be all something you did or it could be nothing that you did. It could just be random circumstances. You know, sometimes it is you and what you did or did not do. And sometimes, like if I showed up that morning, let's say wearing flip-flops and a tank top, you know, and and the other guy was there as an option, I could see them choosing him because he was dressed nicer, you know. I mean, maybe it is something you did. Or, or you showed up half drunk for the gig, you know. That would be a good reason to be sent home. So it's good to examine yourself and say, did I cause this? What part in this did I play in causing this planned fall apart? And what part did I have no control whatsoever over? And it was funny, while I was telling Jackson the story of the, the fox and the grapes this morning, as I'm telling him this story, it was really foggy this morning and we're, we're driving while it's still dark at about 6.30 in the morning, going between Americus and Buena Vista, Georgia. And I'm going, taking it kind of easy because the, the rut is starting right now with the white-tailed deer around here, you know, kind of a mating frenzy, and they're liable to run out in front of your car at any time year-round. But during the rut, you never know what, you know, Three does may come run across the road being chased by a big buck. You just never know. And if you see a buck, I mean, if you see a doe, you better assume this time of year there could be a buck, you know, following with his blinders on and he don't even see you. He's just looking at her, you know. I've seen that same kind of thing in high school boys' behavior, you know. Um, but anyway, this morning I'm telling him that story and I'm talking about, you know, there's just some things you can control and some things you can't control. And at that instant, these wild hogs, about three of them, big. I mean, bigger than my, my dog, which is a great Pyrenees. These were big, I want to say beefy, big wild porkers. Real ugly. Oh, God, they're ugly. You know, they're all different colors and weird looking. Three of them just came racing across the road right in front of the car. You know, my heart's jumping out of my chest. Thank God I didn't hit one of them hogs. We got a problem around here with wild hogs. Um, anyway, but that's the sort of thing. Sometimes something just comes along, a circumstance completely beyond your control. Sometimes a bunch of wild hogs runs out in front of your car. And you didn't cause it, you know. Uh, so sometimes they're just outside influences and you need, to, you need to categorize things and say, well, was there anything I could have done to prevent this or was this just chance I got hit by a meteor, you know, or, or by a wild hog or, you know, some things are just chance and it's, it's wise to, you know, know the difference between uh, cause and effect and just pure chance. Fourth thing you should do if you're in one of these situations is take inventory once you quit licking your wounds take inventory of yourself your reputation your resources 
your friends, your family, really take stock of the true situation. Because you may find that when you look at all that, maybe it's not as big a deal as you may have thought it was. So that leads me to number five, keep things in perspective. While this, this little thing, which I'm not really talking about this morning, or I'm not, I'm not going to give you any information about, um, somewhat of a disappointment to me, but I'm trying to keep it in perspective because while it seems like a big deal to me, yesterday especially, not so much this morning for some reason, it's probably the coffee. Um, just this past, in the last 10 days, a good close friend of mine, a mandolin player, his father died. And I know what that's like. Another close friend of mine and band member of, and member of the Plucktones, his sister-in-law, aged 41, had a stroke. So, and she's okay. She's going to be fine. But when I compare, like not being selected to be at a band or, you know, hired and fired in one hour or this thing that I've gone through over the last couple of weeks where I thought I kind of had something going and then it all fell apart. You know what? Compared to those sorts of things, it's nothing. So keep things in perspective. Maybe that your troubles aren't as bad as you think they are. You know, you could be hit by that asteroid or whatever. So keep things in perspective. I, I'd like to remind you just to go out on a little bluegrass tale. Picture that you are Del McCurry, 1963. Banjo player, banjo player Del has been asked to become a bluegrass boy and play with Bill Monroe and the bluegrass boys. A dream come true. Get your banjo, go to Nashville, check into the hotel, and who shows up on, I believe, the exact same day? Bill Keith, to be the banjo player for Bill Monroe. One of the finest banjo players and kind of the, uh, the uh, innovator of the melodic style. We've all played that Devil's Dream and Sailor's Hornpipe and all that kind of stuff. Bill Keith, he shows up same day you did. And all of a sudden, Bill's handing you a guitar and saying, can you play a guitar? And you're like, yeah, I guess. Imagine how he felt. Just imagine how he felt. But, you know, if you keep things in perspective, think about how did that work out for him? Compare his career and where he is today with that of Bill Keith. Bill Keith got out of bluegrass and took up the pedal steel and then it would occasionally return on recording dates and occasional gigs, but he kind of got a little bit forgotten. I mean, banjo players know about him, but, uh, you know, he's not packing him in like Del McCurry and the boys do. So, you know, even though I, I bet you, Bill, I mean, Del was a little disappointed. He had his heart set on that, but, you know, he kept things in perspective, didn't burn his bridges, and, uh, did the bluegrass boy gig as a guitar player. And I'd say that worked out pretty well. Anyway, I hope you're, this coming week, you don't have any sort of little disappointments or anything. But if you do, just remember to keep things in perspective. I'll talk to you in the next episode.
Coming for to carry me home.